The Diecast Movie Podcast proudly presents James Whale Retrospective Series, where we will be discussing the life, work, and legacy of director James Whale, with guest appearances from filmmakers, film historians, and other podcasters. We would like to give a special thank you to Reber Clark for the intro music. Please enjoy the podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Diecast Movie Podcast. The James Whale retrospective series is continuing on. The man, the legacy, and, of course, the work. And right now we're still continuing on the work as we go through 10 of his movies. Um, he's done about at least around 20 of them. And I'm, doing, I'm joined today by Joshua Kennedy, and he said, when I asked him about doing the James Whale retrospective, he said three words to me. The Invisible Man. And I was like, that's all I needed to hear. I didn't, it wasn't a yes or a no. It was just The Invisible Man. <laughs> How you doing today, <laughs> Joshua Kennedy? I am doing fantastic. Thank you for having me again. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. I'm doing fine. And for those that are not familiar with Josh's voice, he's only been on like four other episodes, including episode number one, Inherit the Wind. It's a mad, 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 mad world where he was one of the, joining us at the coast that was on there for, I don't know, like a couple hours. I mean, it was a long, <laughs> it was a long episode, <laughs> just like it was a long movie. And that episode is still our number one movie reviewed episode. It's not our number one episode overall. That's David Selby. He's some dark shadows. It just trumps all. <laughs> of, of course, understandably so. There's going to be one that, that beats it. That's the one to beat it. So I understand. <laughs> and of course we talked about Napoleon and we had an yeah, interview with you. Right. Yeah. Wow. Cool. So this is number five, right? No, lucky yeah, number five. Lucky number five. Yeah, we got a we got oh, a full God. hand. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Nice. And those that aren't familiar with Josh, he is um, a talented actor, writer, director, producer, and an international man of intrigue. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. Appreciate it. It's it's in your contract. I have to say that last part. You know, it's like yeah, in, no, yeah. Your check, your check is in the mail. Your check is in the mail. You said that last time too. Did I? <laughs> well, it's true. It's in the mail. Postal service must really be slow. <laughs> <laughs> it's COVID. You know, it's it's 2021. It's things things are slow. So yeah, they're okay. they're on their way. I guess there's Pony Express and there's Tortoise Express, but this is probably going by the tortoise. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But Josh, um, just to give it people an idea, what have you been up to um, recently before we start talking about the movie? Anything that you wanted to share? I know we're going to be doing an interview later on that might be coming out before or after this episode, so there'll be we'll be talking more in detail about your current work, but anything for people that somehow missed the interview part two? <laughs> <laughs> well, um, uh, Cowgirls versus Pterodactyls, is out on Amazon Prime, but it's on a rotating basis. So every few months, Amazon rotates their titles just to keep things fresh. So for right now, by the time this comes out, it might be back uh, on online. Um, you can still find it there. Um, you can still find the Blu-ray on, on my website, but it's on a rotating basis. It will be back. I know people were freaking out. Where is it? Where is it? It's like, it'll, it'll come back. It's almost like something to look forward to. 
and currently filming Mantiput. My six, we're shooting on 16 millimeter film, which is astounding. And uh, the great Reber Clark, composer extraordinaire, is starting his work on Saturnalia, Saturnalia, um, which is my science fiction comedy wacky adventure. So yeah, being very busy and um, but happy to to put everything on pause to discuss The Invisible Man, one of my favorite films of all time. My God, very oh, excited. It is very exciting. I mean. It, uh... It's a movie I remember seeing many times when I was a boy growing up. You know, you you know, on a Saturday when it's rainy, you would turn on the TV and you know, yeah. and the heart the the horror movie or or late night it would be on, and there was the Invisible Man. But it was one of those good movies. It was one of the movies that's such a classic. It could be on daytime television and nighttime television. So depending on when they wanted to air it. Yeah. So my question: Are we ready to just dive in here, or or? We can go whichever way you want to do. (laughs) I mean, you brought up, that's a perfect segue because I was going to ask where about in your childhood did you see it first? I mean, you said you saw it on on TV. I mean, how old were you? And, and in relation to the other monsters, you know, like, were you aware of Dracula and Frankenstein? Like where, where did Invisible Man fall in for you? For me, you got to remember, I have two older brothers. One's four years older, one's eight years older. So they're, there were movies I saw at a very young age that I probably shouldn't have saw, like Gargoyles. I, I saw when it came out because my eldest brother was watching it, and I snuck down and saw that. So I I would have to speculate a guess. I might have saw it when I was four or five years old or somewhere in that range. But it's, you know, when you're four or five, you don't, you know, unless, unless you're scared the, the living daylights out of, you know, it, it, it kind of blurs in that range. So somewhere – from kindergarten sure. to early elementary school. <laughs> okay, okay. And and I guess, I mean, was Dracula and Frankenstein, was that lumped in at that same time? or, or... Yes. Yeah, if, if, my, if my eldest yeah. brother watched it, I pretty much would watch him. So all the, all the classic universals, I pretty much saw all around that, probably that same year or two-year period, you know, depending. Because unlike I mean, people have to remember, when I was growing up, we didn't have cable. So you're at the whim of what was on TV. Nobody had videotapes. No, it was, if it's on TV, you can watch it. And we were usually outside. So it had to be also what was going on on a rainy day. If we're going to catch yeah. it during the daytime, I, at that age, I couldn't really stay up for the, the late night showings of different things. And, you know, if it was on the, the, the prime time, I could probably get away with it. But usually my bedtime was like eight o'clock. So if it, it was on special occasions, I got to stay up after that. So uh, I think, you know, I can blame my brother Rick for having me see it when I was probably at a young age. But I, I'm not really yeah. blaming him, you know. It's Yeah, I know. <laughs> hey, I can't blame him for that. It's just a blessing. Um, how, how about you? But for me, it was – it's funny, and I was thinking about this in preparation for this interview, how – I mean, I, it was the, the VHS. I, I got got all the Universal monsters on the VHS tape, and um, it had to. I mean, Bela Lugosi's Dracula. That was, I mean, in terms of Universal classic monsters, that was, you know, the monster of my young, very young childhood. This is, I want to say, this was pre Hammer before I was interested. I want to say I went through the Universal cycle first. But anyway, so it was Dracula and Frankenstein, and it was the, the old castle and the lightning and the storm. And for me, 
The Invisible Man was at the bottom of my list. I want to say I got the VHS and I watched it once, and I wasn't crazy about it as a kid because I was like, where are the bats? Where are the coffins? Where are the things? And it was at the bottom of my list. And sometime in high school, I dug out the VHS again and because I had <clears throat> grown up, obviously, and well, not really, uh, spiritually, not, <laughs> never grow up. <laughs> physically, physically, your body has aged. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> thank you. Thank you for the clarification. Um, and I had had grown up physically and bought all the Universal Monster films on DVD or, or I had upgraded from the VHS things, except The Invisible Man. I hadn't bought because I remember not liking it as a kid. So around in high school, I dug out the old VHS tape and put it in. And I was like, you know what? I haven't seen The Invisible Man in a while. Maybe I should give it a second shot. And instantly, this was had to have been 15, 14 or 15 years old, and I was hooked. And I had to have watched at least like, you know, 10 times that summer. That sounds so cliche, but it was like every other day, I was like, I'm going to watch it again. I'm going to watch it again. And funny how <clears throat> I hate, I mean, it's so cliche to, to for people nowadays to, to you know, poop on the Bella goes to Dracula. Oh, it's so boring. Oh, so, so you know, it's, it doesn't have, you know, it's so dull in the second half. Where's the atmosphere? And I hate to join in with that group because my love for the Bella goes to Dracula as a kid was overshadowed by Invisible Man. It's funny how they both kind of, it was the inverse as I grew older. And um, I love them both now. I mean, coming full circle, but Invisible Man, man, that shot up. And I, I guess it was, again, that the lack of that gothic castle atmosphere. It's, a, it's like a modern, I mean, modern for 1930, what are we, 35, 33? 33. 32. 33, yes, okay. Yeah. Um, so I, I just wanted to bring that up, how it was interesting, how I didn't care for it. And I didn't think he was a monster. At, at, I mean, you could make that argument still. But as a kid, I was like, he's not a monster. He's just, you know, a mad scientist who, who goes with it. So. Um, yeah, there's there's my youthful story. <laughs> yeah, I still, I still remember when uh, we were talking about Napoleon, and you kept talking about how you wish you would have saw it years ago. That you waited so long, and I'm thinking you're, you're half yeah, my yeah, age. Yeah. I'm like, come on! <laughs> <laughs> and I had saw it, and I had saw it more current, more recently than you had for the first time. So, and you're yeah. like, oh, I wish I would have saw it so long ago. And I'm like, oh yeah, like when you were in the womb. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. If I had seen it then, everything would have been different. It would have completely changed my life. Um, yeah, Invisible Man, though, mm, quality stuff. If you haven't seen it, those listening to this, I mean, turn off the podcast and watch it now, please. What are you waiting for? Or listen to the podcast and then watch it. But uh, <laughs> It's available, yeah, it's it available multiple ways for physical media, yeah. and it's also streaming on uh, Peacock. Is it really? Currently, yes. Yeah. Oh, right. Perfect for the Halloween season, too. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, it's 70 minutes of um, pure joy, you know, for um, that's, for movie for, for movie fans. Yeah. One of the, the, the things, I, I, I mean, we, we can talk and get into it, but um, the uh, it's it's like a train that leaves the station and does not stop as a movie. I mean, it's, what do you say, 71 min, minutes? Yeah, One hour, it. nine minutes, it's something like that. It's like 70 minutes, Tiny. give or take a minute, you know. It's, I mean, and it does not stop. It's watching it, I watched it last night um, just as a refresher course, and it was like, this just does, it takes off, and it does not stop. Boom, 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 boom. And it's like, oh, we're ending already? This is great. Um, I mean, for those who are, are like, oh, I don't like old monster movies, like, you can, you can spare 
an hour and 10 minutes. I mean, if you, you have any doubts about it, you can spare the time. It goes by like a flash, and it's jam-packed with so many good things. And for those that saw the um, the more recent um, version or remake of The Invisible Man, I think it was like 2020, um, the stories yeah, are totally yeah. different. I mean, yes, they both have an invisible man, but you know, <laughs> they, they both stand on their own, and, um, and and I think they're both very enjoyable. I, I've, so it's it's. I'm not saying I'm not. I don't like to pick one over the other because I enjoyed both movies. Well, and they're two completely different movies, and it's not. I wouldn't be say it's fair to even compare them, but I, I really enjoyed it. But yes, you're right. Completely different story, even though there are like tiny little. I want to say his name is also Griffin, or there was some. There was something in the new one where they referenced Griffin. I want to say it was the husband's name. I was like, okay, well done. Little tip of the hat to, to this one, um, or I mean, to the original H.G. Wells story. Um, did you have? Did you read the, the H.G. Wells? Story at any time? Yes, I read the I read all the the stories back when I was in the elementary school, in in the junior high. Oh wow! Yeah. So I read I've read and Mary Shelley, I, I, I've read Bram Stoker, um, you know, all the ones uh, yeah, Robert Louis Stevenson. You know, you you have to read the classics. And this is back at a time when I used to go through like a Hardy Boys or a Nancy Drew book every day. You know, take school library, yeah. you come home with seven books, and next week you take those seven back, come back with seven more. And you just yeah. devour them, you know, unless it, unless you had a lot of tests that week, then you know you you pretty much. So it's like so you were classically trained, I take it, <laughs> with all this literature. Nice, no, I I totally get it. Yeah, I, I was the same way. <clears throat> Love it. Oh, I do, and 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 this one is very well. Done. I mean, James Whale, as we've been bringing up in a lot of different um, these episodes, talking about his work, very merciless with editing pacing yeah. ebb and flow and it's so important with movies i know you know that being a filmmaker and i mean it, it and it doesn't matter if it's a four-hour movie a one-hour movie or whatever as long as it has the appropriate pace tension you're going to be there riveted it, it could be a half hour short and if it's boring you're going to feel like it's an eternity yeah i mean how many movies have you have you sat through i mean me too where it's a 90 minute movie and it's like how, how long is and you you check the time and it's like well, only 20 minutes have passed by this is horrendous i mean sitting through a bunch of uh, student films throughout my life it's like how long is it's only five minutes it feels like we've been here for an hour this is <laughs> this is rough and but i love your your description of his relentless editing because that's like the perfect description and especially with invisible man like this movie there is no you can't take anything out because the whole thing will fall apart at least in, in my in my opinion everything leads up to the next scene everything is important um character wise story wise it's relentless and it's so taut for 71 minutes it's oh it's a delight a delight i'll keep saying that <laughs> yeah there's there's only about like 30 seconds i can think of where i could remove and and, 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 and probably enjoy the movie more. And oh, I, I think I know where you're talking about. You, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> but I, I was just like, I was like, it had been, I know, yeah. it's been probably 10 years since I watched any of the Universal movies, except maybe Creature from the Black Lagoon. Um, I, I owned, I bought, I bought all the Blu-rays and I was waiting for an opportunity when, you know, it's like, okay, I'm going to, watch it with the kids and that kind of stuff. And then this goes, actually, I did see Dracula not that long ago. 
Um, but for the James right. Whale ones, it's been, and I thought when I was doing, the, I had the idea of the James Whale retrospective. Uh, get, let me wait a while and get more of a fresher take. So, yeah. and I, and it really, also by going through Journey's End, Waterloo Bridge, you know, Frankenstein, working through this, I'm doing somewhat chronological going through, though I've had to jump around a little bit. So when, like, when I'm talking to you, I've already watched Showboat and those kind of things, even though this episode is going to come out prior to Showboat. Yeah. Well, I'm sure you're seeing things. I mean, if you're, you're staying in the James Well world, you're, you're seeing all these the similarities and what he likes. He really likes certain actors or just gets a kick out of certain actors or actresses and just his, his style. Oh, it's, it's a, a delight. And, and, to, to be fair, you, you talk about it, it's like I have staying away from from the, the monsters for for a while. I, I totally get that because at least for me, you watch one, you kind of it's gonna like bleed into other ones. It's like I watched Invisible Man for the first time in a few years last night. It's like you know what? I'm probably going to end up watching you know Bride of Frankenstein tonight, and it's it's just it's like a, a virus. It's, I mean, maybe not, I wouldn't say virus. You know, <laughs> in the times that we're living in right now, maybe a uh, an addiction. Yeah. Oh, I think virus. Yeah, you didn't, you didn't see us both face you, listeners. We both face palmed. I started it, then yeah. Josh followed oh, it because it's like it's like yeah, good word choice, Josh. <laughs> yeah, perfect word choice. But it's, it's, at least for me, you watch same with the Hammer films. You watch one the next night, you're like, you know, maybe I should watch the sequel or I should watch the other. Thing. And it just your whole month is ruined with Universal or Hammer films, and that that can be a good thing. That can be a great thing. It's um, it's a good addiction. Just like just like people yes. that are addicted to caffeine, it's it's some some addictions are are, are not harmful. Everything in moderation. I mean, you don't want it. You don't want. Yeah. You got to get some sleep. You can't just keep watching all the movies without without oh, yeah, rest. Mister, I, I Mister, I watched all of Dark Shadows in one year. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, 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 no. It took me um, three and a half months. <laughs> yeah, exactly. See, <laughs> but I never watched any of them on a weekend. Oh, fair enough. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> but you know, I, 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 also Dark Shadows. They're like twenty some odd minutes each episode, so it's not like it's movie yeah, after movie I, I after have, movie. I have such respect for you for doing. I mean, that that's that's awesome. That's something I aspire to, to reach. I would love to do that in Korean. That's yeah, that's that's outstanding. And, well and, done. And that's why I thought you were so surprised when you were shocked that I was able to watch Napoleon in one sitting with just taking breaks during the yeah. intermission. I'm thinking, come on, man. I've prepared for this. I've trained for this. Yeah. <laughs> Olympic training. We watch all of Dark Shadows. We can do Napoleon in one sitting. Come on. <laughs> that, that's what we need. Instead of competitive eating, competitive film watching. <laughs> but yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'd be ready to go. It's like, bring it. Bring it. And then they'd bring it up. Yep, and then yeah, you never know. Of course, when it gets to like three in the morning and you've been up for like thirty six hours, they, they, that could be when they hit you with the movie. That's going to be your like uh, coup de gras. Ah! Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> They'll put some kind of sleeper one in there just just to just to eliminate the the, the competition. Uh -huh. <laughs> oh, but nevertheless, we got a little off target there, a little off track. <laughs> yeah, typical. Yeah, it's typical of two. You, you and I both love films, and you know people that have listened to us talk before. We get off on those little tangents, but at least they they're somewhat in the area. The, the movie had a screenplay that this screenplay took forever to get developed because H.G. Yeah. Wells had final approval, and if I remember reading correctly, he kept vetoing certain screen treatments until finally R.C. Um, I think his last name is Sheriff. 
That's, uh-huh. um, his got approved. And um, this is like in 1930, late 1932, maybe 1933. And H.G. Wells liked it. And that's, he also liked the idea with the um, the drug, not the drug, but the, well, I guess the drug, causing the madness, you know, which was different, I guess, than, if I remember correctly, than the book. And um, so that was the one that got approved by H.G. Wells to, um, wow. to go through it. But as you know, as well as I do, R.C. Sheriff had did um, The Road Back, which is also a James Whale movie, and Goodbye, Mr. Chips, besides many, many other screenplay credits. Wow. Okay. No, I didn't know that. Wow. Interesting. So, I mean, he was he was already a working screenwriter, and it's just interesting. A new James Whale, and wow. Okay, cool. Yep. And, um, and of course, the, the road back would come after this, I think, like uh, three or four years later. Um, yeah, yeah. The road back and, and that kind of thing. But it's just, again, it goes back to, James Whale having working relationships with certain people. And one yeah. of them he had a big working relationship with was a cinematographer. Yeah, yeah. Arthur Edson. I mean, what? Waterloo Bridge, Frankenstein, The Impatient Maiden, The Old Dark House. And not a James uh, Whale yeah. film, but also Mutiny on the Bounty. I mean, it, 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 I can keep going on. The what? credit list is long, but amazing cinematography. And we, we mentioned this each time Wales has been able to get – Visionary cinematographers to go of his visionary directing. And when he gets that, you get some awesome films. It, it is amazing yeah. with some of the shots he gets. And I mean, you get it's lightning in a bottle. I mean, yeah. I mean, to, to lightning in a bottle, I mean, Frankenstein with the lightning. I tried to make a pun there, but it didn't really work out. But yeah, it, it, it is, it's, you can tell. I love, at least for me, I mean, with with my films, I love that the the, the stock cast, the, the same crew members. I totally get. I, every time I watch a James Whale film, I get that same feeling of, of not so much like a family dinner. It's like, all right, let's see, let's bring out these actors, let's bring out, and you, I just, it, it's a lovely feeling just to see. I mean, you, it's the same thing that happens when you watch a Hammer film and you see Michael Ripper pop out. It's like, oh look, there there he is again, and it's it's such a, a family feeling. Every every James Whale film that I sit and watch is like, all right, let's bring them all out. Love them or hate them. They're all part of the, you know, the James Whale <laughs> circus. But what do you think of the cinematography being a filmmaker? I mean, it's, it's not often I get to talk to a filmmaker and we got such great cinematography going on. There's a lot of special effects that were totally invented yes. for this movie. I, I'll give you a little time to talk about that since you are the filmmaker. Yeah. I mean, cinematography, it's, it's so fresh that's one thing i wanted to, to bring about again for people who are like i haven't seen the invisible i mean i'm sure people listening to this have seen it but watching it again for the first you know, after a little hiatus it is still so fresh and i can only imagine how it felt watching it in 1933 we talked about the relentless editing the the, the shots in there i mean the, the camera is it's not so much the it's the relentless editing for sure but the camera is constantly moving i mean that that's almost what james whale constantly moving here and there and and um i'm trying to think of a particular shot in person i mean in a specific shot from the film um because there are so many dynamite um images special effects like you said um but okay here's a good one we have uh claude rains who we'll talk about i'm sure um and gloria stewart correct as as the leading lady yes um they're, they're, they're sitting towards like the second half of the film and 
he has his insane rambling where he talks about even the moon is frightened of me and he's it's fantastic scene acting wise writing wise but the camera it's it's such a simple and it's almost cliche to say but Claude Rain stands up and the camera is positioned beneath him so it's looking up at him and it's giving him such dominance over the frame and it's such a beautiful simple Again, it's cliche. Every time a villain, you have to get underneath the the, the character in, in a film. You want to give him the power. But it's such a simple moment. And, and that's one of my favorite shots. We'll talk about all these different shots in the scene. But that's the first one that comes to mind. It's like, what a great image of being beneath him. Even the moon is frightened of me, frightened to death. It's, it's oh, it's lovely, lovely stuff. Um, well, one of the things I want to mention to tie in with that is you're talking about the villain shot. But back yes, in 1933, yes. This might not have been the yeah. trope as it is now. Exactly. It, you know, so a lot of these things, like with Frankenstein and other stuff, um, James Whale came up with a lot of different choices that have affected yeah. the um, the future of film, which we'll get to more in our round t- a roundtable discussion at their, on our last episode. But, I mean, it's just it, to me, it's like people, when they look at it, the modern eyes have to realize that some of these things were – happening only a few times or this could have been the first time i don't know without having to research and go through tons and tons of films who did it first or whatever exactly yeah yeah and and again it goes back to that that idea of it being fresh it's like how how long ago is 1933 that's 80 years i mean i I didn't get the math 88 years my sister yeah is it 88 years yeah because this is this is 2021 Hey, okay, wow, well done. Uh, <laughs> 88, I mean, eight, so you can imagine audiences watching this in, in 19, I was going to say 88, in 1933, just like, what is uh, the editing? Again, the, the, the wives cracking the jokes, it's relentless. Um, another shot, there's a weird, it's a super fast shot. Um, the police are surrounding the, the house and during Kemp, it's Kemp's house, and the police are surrounding it. And there's one overhead shot looking straight down on the police because they're linking hands and they're walking forward. And for a split second, I, I watching it last night, I go, is that a drone shot? It looks, I mean, it's like directly above what is the interesting, unique cinematogra- cinematographical choice, <laughs> camera choice. Who would, I mean, how are they getting, I mean, and cameras then are ginormous and heavy. How are they you know, so many, a hundred feet above this, this line of, of police. And what a great, great shot. Um, again, to tie into, to our cinematography, there's lovely, wonderful shots and angles and yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my favorite shots or scenes. And then, and after this, we'll talk about the plot to give people an idea of what the little brief synopsis of what happens in this one sure, sure. is the scene where he's, he's escaped the police yes. and he's got the pants he puts the police officer's pants on and he's skipping down, singing. Here we go, gathering nuts and may, nuts and may, nuts. And that poor lady is like losing her mind, screaming. There's a woman I wanted to just like a walking in the woods in the middle of the night, this poor random woman just screaming her heads off at these pants that are just, well, I mean, to be fair, if you saw that happen in, in the middle of the woods, who wouldn't scream at that image? But that's a great shot. Yeah, I love that. Yes, and it holds up beautifully the way it is filmed with the special yeah. effects and everything. I mean, here we're now used to CGI, and it's like, oh, yeah, it's a CGI. They didn't have CGI back then. They had to pull it off 
And it's amazing the process they went through to pull off the invisibility. Yes, yes. Um, and, and, and working with, as I mentioned, I'm doing filming my own Mantipus, I mean, the movie Mantipus right now. And working with actual film and trying to do, I want, I'm trying to do as much in-camera, you know, processing effects as I can. And watching Invisible Man, you're like, whoa, this is, this has to be like a magician's trick. That one shot where he's in the, it, he's in Kem's house and he's upstairs unwrapping. And it's not just him unwrapping, it's his reflection unwrapping at the same time. And it's like how the, the fact that they combined all of these elements into one shot is outstanding with the technology that they had then on celluloid with no computers it's outstanding i don't know if you want to go into to the effects at all or i mean the, or oh, we the will process of how- but just before yeah, we do yeah. the effects um why don't you give um, our listeners a brief synopsis of the film you know so with you know we're trying not to spoil the ending because i really believe there's still people that haven't seen this film I and mean, then we all say everybody's seen it it's been out almost 90 yeah. years but I, I look at it my audience is our, our age demographic, we have people from their teenager years to their forties that watch that are some of our bigger listeners on this show. And I think at that demographic, there's probably a lot of people that had not seen the 1933, the invisible man. Well, I'll, I'll, I won't do, do spoilers. I'll try and be as spoiler free as, as possible. But as, I mean, it, it's the invisible man. I mean, if you're a movie fan at all, you can kind of guess where the plot is going. There's this doctor named Jack Griffin played by Claude Rains, who, again, we'll, we'll talk about. He has, he's in love with uh, his leading lady, Flora, um, and he wants to, he's a poor scientist, and he wants to, to uh, how do we say, impress her? He wants to, he's afraid of marrying her, and in order to, you know, get the clout of being a famous scientist, he decides to experiment with this deadly strange drug called monocaine monocaine what is monocaine it's just this strange uh liquid um with a ingredient that is used to bleach cloth that sucks the color out of everything that it is anyway he injects himself with it and he becomes invisible and in order to, to figure out the process of how to uninvisible himself <laughs> or re- regain his his form he goes to a little village for some privacy, and all hell breaks loose when um, the drug starts to eat away at his sanity. And I think that that's basically, the, I mean, that's the basic outline. I'm trying to be as spoiler-free as possible. Yeah, that pretty uh, much that pretty much sets the uh, the tone for it. And uh, the only thing I'd add to it is it, it's it's that's one that drug is one of the ingredients of multiple drugs, so it wasn't just the one. Yeah. Correct. Thank you. Yes. But that's one of the main ingredients in, in this invisible formula that causes horrendous effects. And he's, and I just also need to bring up the, the, the it's the winter and in this, this little town in the UK called Iping and it's constantly snowing. And I, I, the atmosphere in the film is just delectable. The snow falling, the fact that when he's invisible, he has to run around. That always, even um, watching it uh, last night, I'm like, gosh, this is, I am always so cold watching this. this Because to be invisible, you have to be naked, obviously, and running around. And you're running around in the, the snowy countryside. Oh, that must be awful. <laughs> yeah, you'd think, um, even if there's no snow, just the cold ground, you're worried about frostbite in, the, in a lot yeah. of different areas. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> enough said. Enough said. I'll just let even when we, he he sneaks into to one of his uh, businesses or his fellow scientist named Kemp. He uh, intrudes into his house and he starts like stoking the fire. I'm like, that must feel so good. And he sits by the fire. I mean, he's still invisible and still naked. And I was like, that must feel so good to be in a warm house instead of the cold countryside. Um, but the like I said, the atmosphere of like the cold, the, the fake snow. Even if I want to say that it's all studio bound. I mean, the snow stuff at least like has to be right. I'm guessing uh, the make. I'm not sure if they filmed out in the snow. Um, maybe some of the, the later stuff when they're surrounding the cabin. But uh, whatever it is, it, it adds to the atmosphere. If it's fake snow, if it's real snow, which I doubt, but it might be. Um, oh, it's it's, it's fantastic. Oh, it is wonderful, and it, and there are a ton of effects um, with the books being moved, logs being moved, all these different things, windows opening. They probably, I'm I'm guessing, did it with pulleys and dollies and this kind of stuff. Oh, but, yes. Go ahead. I was going to say, for a lot of films, when you see, you like, you'll see a, like in a lower budget film or not as well crafted, you'll see things obviously being on wires as they wobble back and forth. This one, it looks like somebody's picking it up and moving it. Books are being closed, you know, and, and stacked on top of each other, which I'm sure they did with multiple um, setups, you know, to get the whole thing together, you know, that doubt they could get everything to work from bang to bang to boom, you know. So it, it, it's just with the editing and the blending of it, it's if you buy, you, you, you're able to believe there's somebody there invisible doing it. Of course, he smokes a cigarette while invisible. Yeah. Yeah, my my favorite is, is the bicycle. I'm like, how I, every time I watch it, how are they doing that? But you're right, it, it's the whole magician's chest of, of different tricks. We got there are a few where the, the one thing that, I mean, it's, I hate this a nitpick, but him picking up the bottles to throw at at Una O'Connor's picture, he's like, he can rob and wreck and kill. He throws that's a little, it looks a little too much like a string, but I'll, I'll forgive it with you know. <laughs> the monumental effects that surround it, but it's it's strings. It's I still don't know how they do the bicycle. It, it's a mixture of all sorts of different things, and it's, those optical effects are just still hold up. I think. Um, and if I so correct me if I'm wrong, it's Claude Rains in what we now consider a morph suit, a black morph suit. Correct? Yeah, that's what I and read. They, it was like some, some kind of like velvet black suit or whatever. Um. Yeah. And I just automatically assume, like, it's so prevalent now to have see people in Halloween wearing just the all one-colored morph suit that covers their whole body. But I'm sure at, at 1933, this is, oh, what a crazy idea to cover someone. And he's covered in black. And they film him first, or they film the background that, that he's against. And then they, I mean, almost a very crude green screen before green screen was even... Yes, because when thing, they film... Correct? Yeah, from what I read, when they filmed him, they had everything yes. as a black background. And yes. they put on whatever clothes they were going to put on him that was going to be visible. And then they would take that print and put it with, and get it with the other print. And how, the, how this process happened, you know better than I. And then they would, I guess, yeah, yeah. mat them together, put them together. or And in some things, they would actually, if there was, um, they would color on the frame, frame by frame, if they had to, to fix any issues like if there was if the eye was not perfect or this you know if you could see the eye or whatever they would color it you know frame by frame painstakingly um yeah they were able to get it to work in a very elementary 
beginning of the whole green screen process. I, I don't know if this is the very first film that did this or in this version or not. I'd have to really do a deep dive, but they pulled it off extremely well. Yes. Yeah, even even uh, there, there's some production stills that you can see where you can see Claude Rains in the bandages and you see his lower jaw in that black velvet. Like, wow, what a, again, it's, it's I don't want to say crude, but it's so simple and it's so effective. Uh, he's, and the fact that James Wales almost doesn't even acknowledge it. I'm thinking, so at the beginning, he goes into this little inn in Iping, this, the, the invisible man, the character, and he's upstairs eating. And the, the, the housekeeper comes in and he puts up the, the napkin to his to his mouth. And she's like, I'm sorry, sir. And he's like, uh, I for, you forgot the mustard. I forgot the mustard. He put, she puts the mustard down, walks out, closes the door. And for like half a second, we just see a shot of him putting the, the napkin down. And you see that he's, the lower part of his jaw is completely invisible. And it's so almost nonchalant. Just It's just a quick shot. There's no... Dun, dun, dun. There's no music. There's no nothing. It's whoa! This what a startling little underplayed moment. And I I, I always love that. What a fantastic because we don't know that. I mean, obviously we know that he's the Invisible Man, but we haven't seen it. And just to, to underplay that first glimpse of it is brilliant. Well done, James Whale. And, <laughs> and the other thing you just mentioned, which I also think is amazing and smart, and we're we're so hip pawn with stingers move music thing dun, like he's a dun 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 it is so nice when you don't have it it's, it's like when you watch a comedy on tv and they have to put the laugh track in because people are too stupid to know when to laugh you don't need to have this this suspenseful music if you did the job right and the tension is building and everything is getting to that crescendo it's going to pay off whether the you know then the music can help augment that but it shouldn't be relied upon to do that I, I agree, and I think it's it's it has a lot to do with the fact that it's 1933 too, and it's, we're still at least Hollywood or movie makers are still trying to figure out what do we, what do we do with sound? We're so used to you know silent films. How do we do we put music? Do we not? So I think that definitely helps in that favor. And for me personally, I love by the time the whole film runs out, and we're in the last 10, 15 minutes in the big chase to the to the barn. That's when the music comes in, and to have almost a film with no music. And have that music it just makes the, the entrance of the music so much more powerful and so much it drives those last 15 minutes that's some of the, my favorite climaxes in any film ever oh we i mean we'll, we'll get to that but to have you're right the absence of music and from a storytelling perspective i mean smart audiences will be like okay he's invisible but we don't know who this man is the, the people in the end don't know who he is um he's just standing in the doorway he's very curt i need a room i want some food I don't, I don't want you to touch my, my hat or my, my coat. And, and we're like, who, who is it? Even the, the people in the, in the inn are like, is he a, he's a man from running from justice. He bumped his head on the prison wall in the, on the prison wall when he escaped. And it just adds the lack of music. Again, doesn't tell us whether he's a villain, whether he's a good guy. We have to make up our own mind. And when he, oh, yeah. when he first walks into the inn, yeah. you can tell he's, he's a jerk. Because it's snowy, <laughs> he opens the door, stands there, walks in, doesn't shut the door. The wind is bringing snow in. He's just like, I'm not gonna shut the. You know, it's just like, it's like. And, and you, if I was in the tavern, I was like, come on, you jerk, you a hole, shut the door. <laughs> Freezing, shut the door, close the door. Um, 
I, I have to bring this up because I, I steal from this moment all the time. James Whale loves his, and I don't even know what to call it. I just call it like the James Whale cut. Invisible Man walks in, or I should say Stranger Man walks in, and we have a long shot, and then it immediately cuts to a closer shot. And I want to say there's two long shot with everyone looking at him. It cuts to the closer shot, and then I want to say there's one more close-up. Or it might, it might be two cuts, it might be three cuts. He does the same thing with Karloff's entrance in the first Frankenstein. Karloff comes in, we have a long shot of him, and then we cut closer, and we cut closer. And, oh, it's, it's, I steal from that all the time. I do that in my own movies all the time. I just think that's a fabulous technique. And I, it's the James Whale cut. A lot of directors do it. It just amplifies, you know, a, a character. And, and the fact that the Invisible Man, or the Stranger, I should say, comes in and gets that moment. You're like, okay, this guy is important. Who, who is he? He has... He's important enough to get his own, you know, close-up. Um, I, I, I was, I had to bring that up because I'm a sucker for that, that technique. I do that all the time. <laughs> and of course, it also brings in the trope where somebody walks into the locals' tavern and everybody turns and is quiet. Oh yeah. Which is now okay. you expect it, and if you don't do it, it's like you're kind of being you're throwing people off. But back then, I mean, you know, it was it was still new. Yeah. <laughs> It's like saying Dracula, you know, in, in the Transylvanian Tavern. You hear, like, the glass break, and everyone stops. The music stops. Um, I, I, I guess, uh, I mean, if you want to keep I want to bring up just the, the James Whale's love for little character moments. Is, is that a good time? Or sure, why not? I mean, it is the James Whale retrospective, so we're not going to say, no, don't yeah, talk about yeah. James Whale. <laughs> it, 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 fair enough, fair enough. The, uh, uh, since we're in the, this opening tavern scene, we have about, 30 seconds, maybe for a minute minute or two of just establishing who these country people are. And it's a delight because James Whale loves his little unique people. There's a man talking about, these two guys talking at the bar about this little kid who got lost in a snowstorm and he got buried under the snow and they bring, and he's like, well, how do they get him out? He's like, well, we, we brought, uh, and they're all they're like such unique looking people. They brought uh, telling this unique people telling the story. They brought the fire truck in. They put the hose into the snow and they turn it on backwards and suck the kid out. And I was like, "What is?" And then it keeps panning along. And there's even my favorite. There's a guy playing the piano and everyone claps when he finishes the song. And then you see this other country guy put a coin into the piano and you realize that the piano is like this large toy music machine. And then the guy goes back to pretending to play as as the machine plays. And it's just like it adds. Nothing plot-wise, but it adds everything. is like, okay, as soon as you see that, you see, okay, these are the, the, the simple people, the funny people, and it just adds such character to, to the film. Um, I don't know if we meet Una O'Connor as, as the, the lead, uh, the wife of the innkeeper there, but she does come out, and I'm sure that's your, your 30 seconds you would cut out. Um, she is a uh, love, lovely actress, and James Whale, I, you could just feel the love that James Whale has for this interesting actress. I've come to peace with her. I think she's great. I know, uh, understandably, I understand that some people, she loves to scream. And I'm sure James Whale loves to hear her scream and thinks it's the funniest thing in the world. Um, was that your 30 seconds you were talking about? Yeah, out? Well, well, actually, and the funny thing is, she was only in, from my understanding, two James Whale films, this and Bride. Really? Yeah, so she, so it's not like she's in a ton. Of course, it's like two of his more popular ones, and that's why people... Well, yeah, yeah. I could have sworn it was more, but but I mean, she does a, she does this exact same thing in in Bride too. I mean, just the, the scream and then. But yeah, it's you, it's the it's the it's, ahead, it's 
stretched out too long for me. It's just like, she's like, oh, oh, especially when her husband, it's, it's just like, what? Yeah. You, you, you want, it's like you're, you're talking about, you're not reaching, you're not reaching the audience in the back. You're reaching the audience in the other state. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's- it's quite, it's quite, it's quite a scream, um, and yeah, like I said before, it's, it's every time we watch it or I watch it, Invisible Man or Bride of Frankenstein, it's like, all right, bring her out, let's hear the scream, go ahead, and it's like, all right, go ahead, you, you love it or hate it, she's part of the James Whale that world that he creates, and I even like her poor husband. I wish I, I, I knew or had his, the actor's name, but he's like perfectly cast opposite her as just the, the Forrest Harvey. Thank you, thank you. He, he's a tremendous and underplaying it, and it's like she comes down and he's not going to stay under this room not another hour. And he's like, please, honey, let's 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 let him cool off for a bit. No, you go up and you tell him to get out, and you feel so bad for him. <laughs> Even he falls, the Invisible Man pushes him down the stairs, and she's Una's screaming into his ear at the top of his lungs. It's hurts our ears as we watch it as an audience and he's right next to her mouth and he even has a moment where he just looks up and is like, oh, shut up, will ya? Um, and he, he deserves more credit as the suffering husband. He's, he's terrific. And and the reason, I think the reason it affects me, I mean, I don't, I don't mind any of her acting in the, the whole film except for that part. It's because it almost yeah. takes me out of the picture. You know, it, it, I, I, it, I it stops the, the movie yeah. dead almost and it's, and that's what I'm saying about his ebb and flow. It's just that little bit. It just extends a little too long. Oh, it's mm-hmm. extended too long. It, it would be fine if it was just short. Hit my mic there. See, Una making me hit the mic. It's the spirit of Una. And uh, <laughs> she's coming to get me. At least she's not screaming. <laughs> and and she, she does. I mean, to be fair, she it's not just one scream. She, there's like four or five scenes where she does it. It's like, all right, okay, we get it. Yeah, and I think that's what it's just overkill. It's a little bit, and I know you. There's not much comedy relief in this movie, and and she's there for comedic relief, and I understand that, and I and I understand where she's going, but I just want people to know she's in other work also. I mean, she's she's had a lot of credits, and a couple of films I've seen of her: Banjo, My Pal Wolf, and The Canterville Ghost. And um, ah, yeah, she's also she's in. the Errol Flynn uh, Adventures of Robin Hood. She's like Maid Marian's. Unless I'm completely wrong. Am I, am I I'm wrong? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I want to, say she is, but to the internet. Oh, you'll find it quicker. Let me try it. Hold on. But when you're looking that up, Forrest Harvey, I just wanted to mention, also has a lot of credits. And um, two of the movies I know I've seen him in Tarzan, The Ape Man, and Tarzan and His Mate. Because I love my I love myself Tarzan, so he's in a couple of Tarzan movies. <laughs> she was in wow. She was in Witness to the Prosecution. Okay, she's in eighty five things. Hold on, let me. Adventures of Robin Hood. Yep. Yeah, when you said it, I, I, I think you were. No, I was pointing because I think you were right, and I remember. And she doesn't scream like this, and she doesn't take it. So it's just. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm saying is, I understand. You know, people can be a little upset with their performance, and I, to me, the, the, the screaming went on a little too much. But I'm not sure if that was her decision, as, you know, for portraying that character, whether it was James Whale's decision, I want you to scream, you know, and that kind of stuff. Because yeah. you know, I've seen other work, and, and, and she does good comedy relief, but it's like nothing like this where it takes you out. You know, you shouldn't be taken out of the movie 
And that that's the only critique really I can say when you say it's like a perfect movie, you wouldn't change the frame. For me, that would be the one thing I would change is a little less I, with I, the I, screaming. I completely understand that. I, I, I won't argue, but yeah, I totally get it. But, yeah, I, mean, I, I think, go ahead, go ahead. I was going to say, I can't imagine you watching that 10 times in the summer and <laughs> when you're watching that when you're oh, young okay. and hearing that scream each time. <laughs> sometimes it's some movies it's like you know what? i'm just gonna rewatch that and i'll it's, it's the randomest movies i'll watch like on a marathon invisible man was one uh the alamo was another one out of nowhere it's like it's, i mean not out of nowhere i love that movie but uh there's sometimes the, the movies just fine invisible man was one summer it's just watching it over and over again and i think deep down i think whoever's idea was, I think James Whale just gets a kick out of hearing her scream. And I, I'm guilty of, of my movies. It's like, you know what? I'm going to let Martine in House of the Gorgon say her Dr. Jekyll and Sister Hyde line. It's like, I don't care what anyone says. This is what I like. This is the, I, I, I want to say James Whale got a kick out of her screaming. He's like, you know, I don't care. This is funny to me. I'm putting it in. And perhaps it was a little overkill, but I, I that's what I like to think that it was, because if, if he didn't like it, he would. You were talking about relentless editing. I think he would have cut it out easily. Oh yeah, obviously. I think he, he thought it was hilarious. <laughs> I, I think so too. And um, you know, uh, um, Jeff Owens brought this up to me. We we're doing Waterloo Bridge because there's um, um, the person, May Clark's character stays in this one um uh, house which has multiple rooms, and the lady who's in charge of the house is a character similar to. Uno Connor's character. It's a different actor's play. I can't remember the name right off the top. And he asked me the question. It's like, do you think you like to have, like, are you noticing that this person, this type of person is in each film? And uh, so it's um, so like a broad comedy and and being done that way. And and I I said at the time, I said, it probably is because, you know, you need somebody in there to relax that, that, like we said, the tension, you can't just have everything going, building and building and building without the release to build, to build, to build, the release. And, 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 and we're not just talking like the horror genre. It's like any film that has drama or whatever, anything that has the tension built, you got to balance it. And some films are unrelenting. And at the end, you are just drained as a viewer. And you're just yeah. like, oh, and those are films a lot of times I've, I've enjoyed watching them, but I'm reluctant to see again. Yes, yes. I, to- I totally understand that. I, I always say my, my go-to is the, the, the original The Exorcist. Like, there are a lot of, I mean, as horrendous and frightening and horrifying as that movie is, there are a lot of laughs in that movie. I mean, beforehand, there's the detectives making jokes, and I was like, you almost need those laughs to, to curtail the, the tension and the, can I catch my breath? Even right now, I'm, I'm busy doing a, a um, uh, we're doing a Halloween show, a live on stage uh, Halloween show, and that, that I co-wrote with, with a buddy of mine. And um, we're trying to put in. There's some some. It's about a man turning into like this fungus creature, and it's horrendous, and it uh, attacks people. But we're trying to find ways to put laughs in there. I was like, we need the audience needs to have a relief if it's nervous laughter or anything. They they. I think that's vital in in horror films. You need that relief of okay. Take a breath and then you dive back in because you're right. The, the the films that are the most relentless and just don't give you a chance to. Br- I I don't really enjoy revisiting them. <laughs> I I don't, don't want to name any um, by name, but there are some. It's like whoa, okay, can I catch catch a breath? I don't know if I want to get on this this roller coaster of emotions again. But yeah, and there it is. 
<laughs> oh, oh, I agree. It's just because sometimes it's just you know where you're going to end up, and it's just like, yeah. I, 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 we're not saying these films are bad. I, I think sometimes you need yeah, yeah. certain types of films have to have that because of the nature of what they're going for, what the creator's going for, and uh, whether it's a uh, a certain theater show um, and things like that. Where I've there, I've been some experiences where I've seen. Um, a community theater group or a college theater or whatever, and, I, and I've gone and seen a performing, especially collegiate, where they're, they're more likely to show the riskier stuff because they're not trying to worry about making a profit. It's more the experience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and you sat there at the end, and you're just like, man, I just went through uh, a gut wrencher yeah. of a thing. And uh, it's like, I, I saw it once. I don't need to see it again because you, you live through it, and, and it affects you in such a way that you know you're never going to forget this anytime soon, which is yeah, exactly what yeah. the, the creative team is looking for. So it's balancing whether you want to have something that's remembered because it's unrelenting, or do you want to have something that is more entertaining and more rewatchable? So it's, it's, it just depends. It's all choices. Exactly. It's just, yeah, for sure. Exactly. Um, and, and I, I think that there's uh trying to think of other things. There's a lot of humorous moments. It's not just Uno Connor. I think there's a lot of little gags and, and uh, <laughs> here's one. Um, there, there's the Invisible Man and his partner are sneaking around in the middle of the night to go back into the town to get the books that he forgot. And the Invisible Man is leading his partner along. He's like, come on, no time to waste. And he, you don't see it, obviously, because he's invisible, but it's inferred that he gives Kemp a slap on, on the bum. And I mean, that's just what a, I just think that's just hilarious. What would it come on? No time to waste, boom. And like you see Kemp react to it. And <laughs> just a little moments like that are just peppered throughout the entire film. Even the, <laughs> we could, I mean, we'll go on for hours about this. Just the, the little, uh, John Carradine has a tiny uncredited role as the guy on, on the phone. And he's like, well, uh, if he, he threw ink on one of the policemen, well, why don't you shoot him with ink? And it's just like the little character moments that James Whale loves. Of, of just peppering the film film with this, even uh, you put, should put black tar on on all the roads so you can see the bottom of his feet. Uh, the, the the citizens are calling in to give uh, advice on how to catch the Invisible Man, and just these wacky little moments uh, are are great because they, they alleviate the tension of this. It's really a sad story at the end of the day. Just this man who's tampering in God's domain and losing his mind because of it. Um, and just peppering the whole film with moments like that is, is brilliant, I think. Well, I, I definitely am agreeing with you, Josh. It definitely, to me, is, is a brilliant screenplay and direction and cinematography and acting. Um, one thing I want to mention, another uncredited actor, the guy you were talking about earlier who has the bike taken from him, if I read correctly, yeah. Walter Brennan. No way. Yeah. Whoa. Oh man, I'm gonna to have to revisit this. Yeah, that's he a, stole my bicycle. Whoa! Hey, that's crazy. Yeah, that's what I read. Now, of I, course, we're I'm trusting internet sources, people. When you when yeah. you trust internet sources, uh, you know it, it, it's it's a, it's a flip of the coin. <laughs> but he, and you know, now that I think about it, it's like he stole my bicycle, went down right the road, and he has like one little. It's not a close up, but it's like a medium shot, and he does have that. that you're, I think you're right. I think that that's correct. Holy smoke! Wow, cool. Yeah, before like this, wow. it's amazing how he's had a lot of actors 
before they became stars. When we did Waterloo Bridge, yeah. it was Betty Davis's like third film, one of her early work. Um, we're gonna, when we talked about um, the Great Garrick, which I was actually listeners, you'll be hearing in the future. Um, I've recorded that one prior to talking with Josh. Lana Turner is in it, so I mean, you get you get these actors that are name recognized now and would be stars huge stars and you don't know who they are <laughs> in this film like they, they got yeah, these little yeah. bit parts and and maybe a, a few lines of dialogue uh and, and that kind of stuff where you see them in the scenery and and the thing is, is everybody had to start somewhere mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and and uh, i mean we, maybe we should bring it up now listeners don't know gloria stewart the leading lady in the invisible man goes on to be to play old Rose in James Cameron's Titanic. And when she's like, it's been 84 years. It's so, I mean, you, you watch both films and you're like, yep, that, that's her. That's a friend. What a cool swan song for her to be in one of the biggest movies of all time. And, and, in the and for listeners, she's been a favorite of Wales because she was in the old dark house, the kiss before the mirror. She was also in The Three Musketeers later on, and one of my favorite movies, My Favorite Year. That's right. Yes, she's, she dances with Peter O'Toole. That's right. Oh, I love My Favorite Year, by the way. Oh, well, that's a whole other conversation. <laughs> I love well, My Favorite Year. But we had to, it kind of ties in, but it just goes to show you that the, she had movies in the 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. I mean, you know, it's an extremely long career. And, and a lot of really, really good films. And she's not just I, I she's not just a pretty face. I mean, she's beautiful. She's stunning in the film, but she holds her own opposite Claude Rain. I mean, she's up against some titanic heavy hitters acting wise. And she holds her own with like looks like she's hardly any effort. She's it's so seamless how how her performance, I think. I, I, she's tremendous. So she kudos is. to glorious yeah, she's great. And she's also not there to be saved or anything else. You know, it's, 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 yeah. which is, you know, a lot, a lot of people say, oh, back in those movies, there always were the damsel in distress. She was never a damsel in distress. She was the love interest. Yeah. But she was never, you know, screaming, help save me, that kind of stuff. And, uh, and I, I think, and I, maybe some people will disagree with me. I think she's actually a very human, at least the way she's written. And portrayed, she's very human. She's not, you know, like you said, the damsel to be one, or you know, the, the two-dimensional sexy girl that, that's the girlfriend. I, she's very human. She has human wants and interests, and and I, I she's fully fledged. I think very three D. Uh, <clears throat> and, and speaking of um, people's works, without this movie, we might never have had Claude Rains. In all his glory, because because he was about to he oh. gave up theater. Something James Whale found them on a farm in New Jersey and got him to come back. <laughs> Are you serious? I didn't know that. That's wow. what I read that he was because he wasn't doing well. He wasn't making money, and um, so he he left the theater, got a farm in New Jersey, and James Whale saw a screen saw him in a, pl- a production of something. I forgot what it was, and um, talked him into coming back and doing it, and then he did a, a screen test. And that kind of stuff. Uh-oh. And you think think about some of the films 
that Claude Rains has been in. I mean, The Prince and the Pauper, The Adventures of Robin Hood, Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, Lawrence of Arabia. And what's the one film that some people say is one of the greatest films ever that he was in? Casablanca. Thank you. Casablanca, of course, yes. I, I always joke, I have this contest friend of mine, and it's like, what actor has the best resume? And we're talking about all these things. I was like, I want to say it's Claude Rains. I think, and one, he like goes through, he's not only uh, the Invisible Man, he's the father of the Wolf Man, and he's the Phantom of the Opera, too. I mean, if you want to count, I love the 1943 one. I'm in the minority, I know. Um, and I want to say there's one other uh, Universal Monster film that he's in, but I might be wrong. Um, I mean, he she, and and like you said, I was going to bring up Lawrence of Arabia. It's like, how do you how do you get a resume that good? Casablanca, yeah, oh oh, and he and he's the thing is he's terrific in everything he does. He's so reliable, and yeah, God bless Claude Rains, and God, God bless James Whale for getting him to be in The Invisible Man because um, he's per, you can't imagine anyone else. Even people love love Vincent Price in the sequel. Vincent Price, who I'll never say a bad word. I love Vincent Price, but I mean, I don't think he holds his candle to Claude Rains as because they're both Invisible Men, and I think Claude Rains. I mean, he's the reigning champ. He's yeah. Well, this Excellent. movie, The Invisible Man, was in production for a couple of years. It was supposed to. They wanted it to come out in '31, but Frankenstein moved in and took it, and then they wanted Boris Karloff to be the Invisible Man, and eventually mm-hmm. he decided to leave the production because he wasn't going to get paid enough, from what I've read. Um, because wow. it changed so many different hands, directors, screenplays, and all this other stuff. It was, uh, it was, you know, like anything, it's, it's hard to get it all going again. HG Wells needed to approve the script, but I cannot imagine. I, I love Boris Karloff, but Me too. Me too. I can't picture him being the invisible man. And Claude Rains. Can you imagine hearing Boris Karloff trying to do that laugh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, I love Karloff as much as you do, I'm sure, and it it rains all the way, man. That it's it's no no contest. Oh, well, I, yeah, Claude, yeah. <laughs> God bless Claude Rains. That's all I'll say. And I mean, well, okay, so since we're on Claude Rains, his the little things that that he does, the little touches that he brings, he's. And it's, again, little almost afterthought moments. He is losing his mind because of the, the drug that is eating away, uh, uh, eating away at his sanity. And there's a moment where he's on the staircase with Kemp, and he says goodnight or something, and he's going into the other room. And it's such a, a subtle moment where he puts his hand up to his head, and you just feel the, the headache that he has or the pain that he has. He does it throughout where he's just – puts his hand up to his head to feel his headache. And for me, I feel, oh, this man is in pain. This man is, is feeling the effects of this drug. Uh, lovely little touch. He even has a, a moment where he's rocking in, in the rocking chair, describing all the terrible things he's going to be doing um, as his sanity, again, is, is faltering. And he there's a little moment where he, like, nudges his glasses back on his nose, like, just just pushes his glass, and it's such a menacing, <laughs> he's like, we're going to start with the reign of terror, not or something, and he just nudges his glasses up, and I was like, that's almost like a Bond villain pick right there, that's, that's a lovely moment, and even, even, uh, I know I'm, I'm ranting and raving about Claude Rains, uh, but he, his, going back to that scene with Gloria Stewart, where he's, 
yelling that the moon is 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 frightened of him, but he's uh, talking about all the things he can do as an invisible man. And it's the scene slowly builds. His monologue is building. His energy is building. And he's. I, when have you ever heard someone inhale air as forcefully as he does? He goes, "I will come to you, uh, with Flora. I will come to you, Flora. I will do this to you, and then I will do this." And it's like, "Whoa, dude!" I, like my heart is racing just just uh, watching you lose your mind. It's a magnificent performance, and um, he, he deserves all the credit of his performance in this film. He deserves all the praise that anyone can give to him. Cause it's, he's, it's funny, you can't keep your eyes off him and he's invisible half of the movie. He's invisible the whole movie. Well, we'll say half the movie. Yeah. Well, well, technically, you know, you could say he's invisible until yeah, the yeah. end of the movie. <laughs> but as an actor, I know this, you know, one, he still has his voice. Yes. No facial expressions. I mean. Yeah. And for half the movie, he's limited to body language. The other half, all he has is voice and inflection. Yes. It, yes. It's amazing what he, as you said, was able to pull off because you, you have nothing to base this off of. And like nowadays, people are like, you know, computer generated things and um, body motion and oh, by, by, whatever, the, the, those, those things they put on yeah, their body. Yeah. And how, how he was able to do that because you have. Nothing to reference. I mean, now there was mm -hmm. cartoons, there was voice actors, and I mean, and that kind of stuff. But still, for the other aspects of it, I know from what I read, he was talking to James Whale saying about how he wants to, you know, use his eyes to help emote to get these different things in. And James Whale said to him, <laughs> um, Claude, nobody's going to see you. <laughs> yeah, it's the invisible man, dude. <laughs> Nobody will see your eyes, you know, because he wanted to do some eye acting, but it's like, oh, you're oh, invisible. No way, man. <laughs> even, even uh, I'll just finish off. You talk about his body language. Um, <clears throat> is there anything more menacing that Kemp is upstairs with him, and he's like, uh, again, outlining all the terrible deeds that they're going to do? They're going to kill. They're going to cause harm to all these people. And Kemp leaves, and he, he just. Uh, Claude Rains just stands there and he just, good night. And it's just this evil being. All he's doing is standing there, but you could just sense his body language is so powerful and so still. It's, it's frightening. And then as a complete inverse of that, he's earlier on in the film, uh, Uno O'Connor's husband is coming up to kick him out of the, the inn. And Claude Rains is trying to be, you know, very cordial. And he's like, Mr. Hall, I had a terrible accident. If you could just please. And you see, he's almost trying to contain the volcano of anger that is building with inside him. And he, he has his fingers clasped together and you see his fingers like moving. He's like, please, if you just give me money is on the way. If you just let me. And you, you see, and the Mr. Hall just keeps pushing him. He's like, no, you got to get out. He's like, please just give me a moment. No, I'm sorry. And you just, it's like prodding the sleeping bear. And finally, all right, you fools. And it's the volcano erupted again. Completely done. No facial reactions. It's all in the body language and all in the voice. It's, it's masterful. Not many actors, very few actors can pull it off, especially modern actors. Um, that physicality, the, presenting a character with just your body, basically, and your voice. It's, it's, yeah. Yeah, and that's, I mean, it's, it's an impressive performance. And then when you see all of his later work, obviously, yeah. you know. And yes. It's it's so good that 
um, James Earl is able to pull him back. Come back. Yeah. Come back. Yeah. Yeah. All these these characters that we would have lost by not being performed by Claude Rains. I mean, who knows what these other works would have, you know, would have they still been great or not? It's hard to say. Yeah, even, I mean, we forgot Notorious, one of Hitchcock's greatest films. He's in Notorious, and he is outstanding in that, too. He's, he's, he's wonderful. Well, he's in so many. I mean, again, we can go down. We we could spend twenty minutes oh, yeah. just reading his IMDb, and it's just, sure. you know, listeners, you can always look him up. We're just picking some highlights that that I like, and he and Josh likes, and we're just going for him. But Doctor Kemp, William Harrigan, I thought that it's a very good job playing this person who also wanted Flora, Gloria Stewart's character. He's like, oh, Griffin's left. You know, come. He's the Kemp to come with me, you know, and, and, and this kind of thing. And also, for the, please, he's, he's, please let me know. Let me tell you how I feel. Please, Flora. <laughs> I, I will say, I mean, go on. Finish your statement. I'm sorry. I cut you off. I was just going to say, it's just, but he ends up having no backbone, being this, 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 this weasel low life of a character um, who, who is a follower and basically would have survived the film. I, I, that's a little bit of a spoiler there, but he is so weak. He ends up causing his own demise. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I mean, how safe every time I watch him, like how safe is it to just stay? He stands in between the, the, the that like the square of policemen. I was like, just stay in there all night. Why can't you just sit there the whole night? That sounds, it looks like the safest place in the earth. Like they're surrounded by the net. So I was like, just stay there. Why are you making this whole fuss? Um, I will say I think he gets better as the film goes along. I mean, and to be fair, the dialogue and some of the scenes of, with uh, Clarence, I mean, I call him Clarence just because he's <laughs> the angel in, in um, It's a Wonderful Life. What, what's his name? You, uh, the oh. main, the Flora's father. Oh, Flora's father? Um, you mean Henry Travers. And is, is, uh, is that the actor's name, Henry Travers? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, and then he goes on to play uh, Clarence in It's a Wonderful Life, so I just call him Clarence. Um, <laughs> but uh, th- those, those scenes with him, uh, Travers, and, and Kemp, they're, they're a little dry, I mean, because they're, they're ex- expository, and I have one of my least favorite, you talk about the 30 seconds that you cut, my, one of my least favorite line readings in cinema history is just like, there was a, a, um, there's a, a drug called monocaine, and it's Kemp, and he goes, monocaine? What is monocaine? And it's oh, it's, it's, it's like nails on a chalkboard. It's like oh, dude, you want to put some emotion behind that? But and I, I forgive him because his acting when he's hysterical is just bar none. He might be standing here beside me. He's going to kill me at ten o'clock. He's in. He's you feel like he's and again. He's total slime ball. Even at the end when he's getting tied up and he's facing death with. Uh, the Invisible Man, and he goes, uh, "Please let me be your partner." I'm like, "Dude, you're so it's so far beyond that." <laughs> he like tries to backtrack and so weaselly. And my point being, I think his performance grows as the film goes along. He really, and to be fair, he doesn't really have much to do at the beginning. It's like, "There's where the clues are in the ashes." Monocane, what is monocane? It's like, dude, please. <laughs> oh, I, I didn't find except for that one scene you talked about that one part. I, I thought his performance yeah. was good. I'm just saying is. The character he's playing is this, and he, he oh, does yeah. it well. He, I mean, he played the um, 
the partner who's always looking for the other girl, looking out for himself, but yet has no yeah. backbone to defend himself. And it's just like, oh, no, help me, help me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and they're going to help him. And it's like, no, I want to be even safer than this. I want to do this whole yeah. convoluted plot ploy to to escape. And I'm just thinking, but I think he was so terrified having that whole day or night yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Um, with the invisible man, because you don't know where he is. He's there. He's here. he could be next to me. He could be anywhere. And he was yeah. so freaked out by it, and yeah. uh, which which caused his mental break. I think is what yeah. led to him because you would think a man of a man of science would not go to <laughs> such irrational um, logic, you know. But but obviously he went that path where where Doctor Cranley and Henry Travers never broke. Nor did nor did yep. Flora. They yep. they stayed constant throughout. But he was the one that he was the uh, the what he was a wuss. <laughs> yes, totally, totally, and he played it fantastically. The, the, at least the, the wuss, yeah, excellent. Um, we're talking about. I mean, the, the little little sidetrack here again. The little character moments and a little humor that's sprinkled throughout. One of my favorite things is um, they have cleared out all the furniture in Kemp's house, and the, the policeman. They drag a net across the room to make sure the invisible man isn't there. And then since they've cleared out all the furniture, the main inspector is like, all right, everyone sit down. And all they all sit down almost it's like little kids coming to listen to Grandma tell a story. And <laughs> even the inspector, it's just a tiny moment. The inspector starts laughing and looking at all these very grown, burly policemen sitting around them like Indian style. They're just sitting and like looking up at the inspector. And he just chuckled. And it cracks me up every time. I was like, what? again, another little sprinkle of James Well. That, that scene, again, could have been played completely straight, but adding that little bit of humor is such a, a whale touch. It's just lovely. And I think you and I have done that with, in real life where you, you'll see an experience, and it could be something that goes good, bad, whatever, and you look at it, it's like the absurdity that's going on right now. Yeah. And it's just it, – it, 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 you get that little <laughs> smile because you, you realize <laughs> that this is never going to happen again. This is just bizarre. Exactly. And, and, <laughs> And for that split second, for that one second, you're savoring this bizarreness, and then you, okay, now let's yeah. let's handle it because it's just so out there, and um, you know, yeah. it's it's brilliant, it's brilliant because they used the, the police actually used sound logic for the time to come up with solutions yeah. to how to handle an invisible man, and um, yeah. and we're able to figure things out, and it. it because a lot of films, they play the officers to be bumbling idiots or whatever, you know, and that kind of thing. This was actually where they were not bumbling. I mean, they they, they came up with things that, that, that should work. It did work in the end, but they, there were problems with it being pulled off before. Because, again, you're told there's an invisible man, but he's how can you tell? You know, because you can't, you know, and, yeah. and eventually they all realize it when they had that one encounter as a group. It's like, oh, this is real. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will say, I mean, we talked about they're not bumbling. There are some bumbling officers. I love, again, the, the sprinkling of character moments, the large policeman with the mustache where we're going to uh, spray the invisible man with, with oil. And he's like, oh, that's a great idea. And it, it's just like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what, exactly his little one line. It's like, yeah, I guess that'll work. Very good. And it's he, he's the one that, that gets his, his nose pinched by the, yeah, he's pinching my nose. Um, he, he's great. He gets the or dirt he, knocked he, on him by the cat. Yeah, he squirts the cat. He's like, he's in here. This, again, you any other director would like would question putting a comedic little character uh, uh, like that. He, he's great. Again, peppering the film with these little moments are outstanding. 
Oh, I, I definitely think so. And, and the one thing I really enjoy about this movie is, like we said, the sound, the voice, the music. The music is done, as we said, at the opening credits, the last scene, into yeah. the end credits. And it's it's just so close. I think when you have the absence of sound, and then when you finally have sound, it works so well. And some movies are oversaturated with sound, 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 and you get overwhelmed, and then you're not, you're not even listening to the sound anymore because it's just a constant flow. And sometimes you have trouble mm-hmm. hearing the dialogue because the sound yeah. is too loud. I, I like it when there's the absence because it draws you in more to what the what is being done on the screen, especially with the spoken word. And I think that's something that's missing in, in a lot of modern big budget films. Yeah, I mean, and at the most at the most general level, music is very powerful, but absence of sound can be just as powerful. And like we've mentioned this before, the the absence of music throughout, and then the last ten fifteen minutes with the big build up to him being in the barn, and that's all underscored. That's that's whenever I do, uh, whenever I teach the students classes on on editing um, and music choices, I sometimes show that scene from the invisible man because i mean talk about taut editing and the music building up that's one of my favorite sequences that they're surrounding the the barn and they just set fire to the barn and there's like a quick montage of every element in that's going happening so they light fire to the barn you see one side of the policeman you see another side of the policeman you see the, the owner of the barn looking and the music almost corresponds perfectly with it it's bam 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 and it's such a quick montage of different cutting and I was like what a beautiful piece of editing coinciding with music coinciding with just cinematography everything just works so well and <laughs> even the, the shot of like the, the policemen on bicycles so because they're not coming in, in cars because they don't want to wake up the invisible man I was like what a lovely touch but yeah that that one intense moment without a, a without music throughout the film and then you pump in that music at the end just makes it all the more tense, and it's a wonderfully suspenseful. I mean, watching it, I mean, how many times have we, we've seen it together um, in our lives? But every time I watch it, I'm like, I'm on the edge of my seat, dun, 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 and, and waiting on what's good. They lit the, the, the barn on fire. What's going to happen? Let's see what, what happens. It's excellent. And I'm not going to say where this happens in the film, but the police, again, showing some smarts ahead of time be careful walking in the snow stay single file because we don't want to have tracks all over the place so we can see his tracks but it just again shows that the the leadership was being so thoughtful and thinking because again it's an invisible how often do the police ever chase an invisible you know this is the one time ever like it's not like you got a handbook okay with the invisible man (laughs) age 56 ah this is what we're supposed to do it's the playbook yeah (laughs) <laughs> and, and just the the idea that they all make a circle. It's like everyone hold hands. So he was like, it's so logical. It's like, of course, that's what. The, how else are you going to catch an invisible man? The, the net just to, to, across the room. It's like, yeah, it's. it's and I will say, uh, we talk about the bumbling cop. The main inspector that ends up shooting him. Excuse, spoiler alert. I'm so sorry. Uh, <laughs> damn, damn. <laughs> anyway, the main inspector. <laughs> who has a very pivotal role in the plot of the film. <laughs> um, he's never played for laughs. He is super, he is incredibly serious. Um, 
and he, he's like almost the voice of reason with some of the more bumbling uh, policemen. Well, there's only, there's only like I think two really police officers that are bumbling. The rest of them are all normal to very smart, you know. And, that, and I think that's the whole point is when you, when you and of course when they get when we're talking about policemen. They, they, Again, the money they had, they had a lot of extras. I mean, they had, it's not like you had five police officers. Oh, yeah. You have like 50 guys, 60 guys yeah, in some yeah. of these scenes. Even even the, the little, the, the people in the, in the town, um, I, I mean, that, that's a nice meaty group of, of people. It's not just five or ten. Like, there's a nice little crowd. Um, I also have to mention, I mean, before I forget, the guy who plays the main police Oh, what's all this? He's also O.P. Heggy, I think his name is, or, or he's a very strange name. Like, it's L.R. Heggy. Or You're talking about the police constable that shows up first? Yes, yes. E.E. Oh, e. E. Clive. E.E. E. Clive, yes, thank you, thank you. Um, I knew he had something like two letters in that name. E.E. E. Clive, he's, I needed to bring him, I always love him. He's in uh, Bride of Frankenstein, too. He's also um, in The Great Garrick. Is he? Okay. Small yeah. role. Small little role. And also, Tarzan escapes. Well, there you go. <laughs> go back to my love of Tarzan. Of course, of course. Uh, and again, you can just feel the love that James Well has for him. Hey, you better come along quietly unless you want me to go put the handcuffs on. He's, he's, how can I handcuff a blooming shirt? He has some of the best lines. <laughs> well, actually, he, he does have a thing when he, when he cursed, when you see the visible end, they all get scared because that's, yeah, you know, I can imagine. He run downstairs and he goes, "We have to get him now because once he takes his clothes off, we got to get him before he, he takes his clothes is. off." Yeah, once he gets them clothes off, we'll never catch him in a million years or a thousand years. Yeah, he's again to, to go back again the, the character moments in this. Great. Yeah, and and, and again, it, it shows you he was like you know even even him playing a pseudo bumbling guy, he was able to figure out certain things like, "No, we got to get him now because if we wait, it'd be too yeah. late." And and then, then of course, he yeah. calls it in, and he's at a bar. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. It, it, <laughs> you put more water in it next time. <laughs> you know, it, yeah, which, which would be lied. which would be which would be realistic. You're you're, you're what? No. Uh, yeah, yeah. Invisible man, huh? So much for you. Yeah. Where, where's he next to the what? pink elephant? <laughs> yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> What haven't we, we touched on? I feel like we're missing something. Bob Rain, what hit, have you got in your, your notes? We hit all the stars and um, a lot of the supporting characters. We talked about special effects. We talked about the music. Um, we talked about some of our favorite scenes. I mean, it's um, is there another scene that, that we haven't mentioned that you really want to talk about? I want to say I feel like I'm missing something. Um, I will say this. From what I read, they said one he was taking the bandages off his head that he yes. ducked his head down underneath his shirt and he had a wire frame. So he was taking the bandages off a wire frame. That would, that would make sense because um, there is one moment where they're, they're unwrapping something and it, it, it's a little awkward. I mean, this is me nitpicking and watching it 500 times, but there is a moment. So I didn't know that, that it was like a, chicken wire head that he was un unwrapping or something i don't know um, it just said a wire frame in front i read again this is on this it's just in wikipedia so you yeah, know yeah, take yeah. it for what it's worth um you know with the, with some of the sources that we're getting i mean one of the things i think you and i have the advantage of we know some 
movie historians, particularly universal movie historians, Tom Weaver, Gregory Mank, that we could yeah, talk yeah. to, and they'd probably research this and we can get a, a better, a more accurate, realistic thing, and you know, of, of what actually went down because they've actually spent the time studying it, and hopefully people read those books and maybe put that up there. Um, I didn't read the reference section, you know, to find out. Because sometimes, you know, I'll go for, I'll look at the references and see, okay, this is from legitimate sources. Okay, I'm, I'm pretty good with this. I didn't ha- have the time to do that this this particular time. Um, but it was just, it's just um, amazing how it still holds up. And I think when you watch this film, and I think one of the advantages of me having it, not having seen it in a number of years, is you start to blur together with the other Invisible Man movie. So when you're watching it, it's like that fresh take. It's like, oh, this is how this one went, which is different than the other one. Because you'll remember certain scenes, certain character moments, but then you forget the whole entirety of the picture. And I think the thing that amazed me the most was something we talked about several times already, was the quick pacing, 70 minutes, in, out, slam, bang, thank you, ma'am, and we're done. This movie, when it came out at the time, was a huge critical success and a box office smash, you know, from all attended all reports at the contemporary times and stuff like that. So it was it was a big money maker at that time because um Universal I think was having issues with with money, especially this one. They had to halt production for a number of t- a period of time, nineteen thirty three, and then came back in, into it for this movie. It, well, I mean, it's it's. We think 1933. That's we're in the Great Depression. Like we're we're we're. That's like total Great Depression uh, time. But uh, you, you reminded me what what I was going to bring up. How this is, and a lot of people listening will probably disagree with me. And you you may disagree with me too. Um, I feel it is such a perfect little capsule of a movie. I mean, 70 minutes, like you said, wham bam, thank you, ma'am. Terrific performances, character moments, and everything. I never thought, and again, with my history with, with this film, I never thought the sequels, A, lived up to it, or or uh, I think the only one I haven't seen is The Invisible Woman, which I think is a comedy, if I am, am remembering correctly, or heard correctly. But I never thought the sequels were needed, or at least with, I mean, Dracula, I mean, it's like, okay, where does the vampire legend go? Okay, let's do his daughter, let's put The Invisible Man. I never, it was... One of the few films where the sequels, I never, I never cared for the sequels. I don't know how, how you feel. That's what I meant to say earlier. Like that's the one topic I wanted to bring up. Well, one of the um, things, because- I, one of the things I am with sequels. Um, now, the, and, the, and the, the sequels that came out, really, I don't consider them sequels because it has nothing to do with this particular story. It's- well, I think one of them, if it's the, the next, Invisible Man Returns, I th- want to say it's like his not his son, but they, they, they do reference him. Like I use the same experiment or something. Yeah. But, but it's, uh, it's like the, fl- it's not- yeah. yeah, but it's not like it's, yeah. you know, you, you can watch it. It could stand alone to me. Like a, a, yeah. a yeah. you'd have to see both or whatever. You can watch one and not have anything affect you. But of course, I really believe if you do a good movie sequel or whatever, it should be able to stand on its own. And that yeah, way exactly. it, it could be an independent piece. My theory is of movie sequels, and I said this when I talked to Eli Craig when we were talking about Tucker and Dale versus Evil when him and I did the interview. If the creative person, people, said everything they needed to say in that movie and they really don't have a story that they want to go to and, 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 and make work, 
then let the movie stand on its own. Not everything needs a sequel. Not everything that makes a lot of money needs a movie similar to it. Because people are like, oh, well, this one is a huge hit. We need another one just like it. But when it comes out and it's just like, oh, it's too much like it. It's not different yeah. enough. You know, you can never win usually with it, a it, sequel. It, I mean, sometimes you do with Empire Strikes Back, Godfather 2, and other ones which are either yeah. – some people consider greater or equal to the prior movie. Um, and, and, and James Bond, obviously, huge franchise. Godzilla, long-lived franchise. So, I mean, there are, there are you know, exceptions to every rule. But I think it's nowadays everybody's like, we got to get a franchise. And, and, and they're so driven by the franchise. They're not driven by the creative work. They're driven by the money and the French and the merchandising and everything that comes with it instead of thinking about what are we doing creatively here? And I think the ones that work well are the ones that take time to think about what we're going to do creatively and let it organically flow, then try to make it happen. Cause how many times have we seen a big budget thing, which is going to be the first movie of a trilogy and uh, it was one and done. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Um, uh, I, I completely agree with you 100%. It's funny how we're talking about Universal and the monster thing because that's exactly what they tried to do with the Tom Cruise mummy and, and it's so funny, full circle comes all the way around. It's like, remember it was going to be the big, dark universe and we're going to get Bride of Frankenstein with Angelina Jolie. We're going to get Johnny Depp as the Invisible Man or, or some, someone, Russell Crowe as the Invisible Man and it's like, oh no, Russell Crowe was Jekyll and Hyde. Um, and but anyway, to, to tie it all back, I, I, it's strange how this perfect little capsule of a movie. Uh, I, I don't think it, it needed any any sequels. And I'm sure I know Troy really likes the Invisible Man Returns, which I, I mean I'm taking or leaving. And I love Vincent Price too, and uh, Cedric Hardwicky, Sir Cedric Hardwick. Um, he's in it too. And I was like, I, it's, where's Claude Rains? Where's the story's done? Um, so that, that's what I was going to ask you. I was like, did, did this really deserve the sequels? But, you know, I, I don't mind sequels. I enjoy the other ones. It's just, to me, I don't look at them as sequels as other versions of the Invisible Man story. It's right. the way yeah. I look at it. And um, so I'm, I'm fine with that because it's like, okay, let's take this concept and let's run with it with a different thing. Because they weren't retelling the story of this one. They were, yeah. Yeah. until the 2020, the Invisible Man, it took the story modernized it changed it around a lot and it works on its own you don't need you can have both of them stand there right next to each other and and you can enjoy both yeah, i mean yeah. and i think that's when you have a good redo or a reinvent yeah. reinvention where um you have some people that'll take the original psycho and then they'll do a shot for shot version of psycho <laughs> and it's like oh, what is the point you know you got different actors yeah, but it's yeah. like shot for shot for oh, whatever you know it's 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 a little that's that's when you start to shake your head and it's like it doesn't mean it's bad it's just but, like what's the yeah. point <laughs> yeah exactly yes and i i don't know if we mentioned the, the latest invisible man the 2021 i mean i i if we didn't i i give that that was a wonderful film did a completely different story clever smart actually kind of frightening and some little horrifying moments, um, which I also recommend. If you're a fan of the Claude Rains one, there are little nuggets in, in the 2021 uh, that, that pay tribute to it. So 
Um, two completely different movies, I will, will say that. But I was very happy being having The Invisible Man be one of my all-time favorites. I was pleasantly surprised. Yeah, being, being a person who likes just going to get into film and getting entertained, both for entertaining, both for enjoyable. Um, I'm not yes. like I said, like I said in the beginning, I'm not going to try to say which one's better than the other because, what, you know, what's the point? If, if you enjoy them both, you enjoy them both. And, and I know so many people want to make these lists like this one's got to be better than that one and this one. And which are all? Yeah, what's yeah. the all time greatest film ever? Uh everybody's so different out there. Nobody's ever going to agree. 100% on what's the greatest film ever. But we all know yeah. it's Cowgirls versus Pterodactyls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's Cowgirls versus Pterodactyls, and then it's Prehistoric Women with Martin Bedwick. And, I mean, both of them have Martin Bedwick, let's be real. Uh, so, I mean, those, those are the two. And then maybe Citizen Kane and Vertigo. Uh, maybe. 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 Uh, yeah. You're kind of, you're kind of, you're kind of, you know, just diluting the pool by throwing those two in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's good. <laughs> well, Josh, th- thank you for joining me. You know, with the, uh, the going sure. over this, and um, for people that want to follow you to get to, to buy cowgirls versus pterodactyls or other things, what's your website? So it's, um, I'm on Facebook as Joshua Kennedy, Man of the Arts. That's where I do most of my updates. Uh, the Blu-rays for Cowgirls vs. Pterodactyls and House of the Gorgon will be on gooeyfilms.com. So it's G-O-O-E-Y films.com. Um, thank you for that shameless plug. <laughs> I would recommend going to see The Invisible Man. or, or what, You said it's on Peacock right now? Yeah, it's on um, Peacock right now. Of course, by the time this comes out, you know, these like as Josh said with Cowgirls for Tagged Actles, these streaming things fluctuate. They ship. And um, so yeah. you never know when it's going to leave. But it's 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 available for an easy rental streaming, almost all the services. You can buy tons of different variations of the Invisible. You can buy just directly the movie itself. You can buy the Invisible Man collection, which has all the Invisible Man movies. You can buy it yeah. in the universal package you can it's 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 like universal just wants you to be able to buy this movie and they want you to yeah. buy this movie <laughs> there is no excuse no one has any excuse not being able to find invisible man it is out there you could probably go to walmart right now and it's probably there in their halloween section or something uh it makes for perfect halloween viewing and it's it's over in in an hour and 10 minutes it's, i i i give it my highest recommendation it's it's, it's a terrific little movie that it is. And um, again, Josh, thank you for joining me. But I think we've reached the end of our journey with the Invisible Man. <laughs> it oh. goes on. The race goes on, Judah. <laughs> <laughs> but well, listen, thank, thank you for having me. Oh, you're welcome. And listeners, thank you for joining us and listening to it. And again, stay with us. Our next episodes are going to be a movie decided by the role of a die, an interview, or the continuing on of the James Well retrospective because... We're only halfway through. We got a halfway to go of his works, and then we got the roundtable at the end. So thank you all for listening. Be safe, and um, come back next episode to see what we're doing next, or hear what we're doing next. To let us go out of the episode of The Invisible Man, what's more appropriate than listening to Queen's The Invisible Man? Enjoy. I'm the Invisible Man. I'm the Invisible Man. Incredible how you can. Through me.
dear 